so Paul said, we're going back into the union, Mimi, and we're going to change the Coogan Law. And so I'm proud. I'm proud of doing that. Thank you for listening to Vanguard of Hollywood. I'm Shannon Allen. Today, I'm excited to introduce Mimi Gibson. Mimi was one of the most sought-after child actresses of the 1950s and 1960s. Over the course of her career, Mimi modeled on countless product ads, calendars, and magazines. She was a familiar face and voice in commercials, and perhaps most impressively, she was in 34 movies and about 200 TV shows, including My Three Sons, Leave It to Beaver, The Barbara Stanwyck Show, The Red Skelton Show, and One Step Beyond. You probably know Mimi best as the voice of Lucky in 101 Dalmatians and as the impossibly adorable daughter of Cary Grant in Houseboat. At the age of 20, Mimi left her acting career behind for a fulfilling life away from Hollywood. Today, she's generously agreed to share some of her amazing experiences during her career and her admirable work to better the lives and conditions of today's working kids in Hollywood. I can't believe, Mimi, that I am sitting here with you today. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you for asking me to do this. I'm so excited and happy to meet you. (laughs) Me too. And I have to say really quick just how we met at Barbara Stanwyck's house in, uh, in Northridge. And as soon as the docent at the, the tour that we were on inter- introduced you, she, docent said we had a special guest, my husband, daughter, and I just looked at each other and almost fell over. We, we immediately, <laughs> we knew your name. We know you because 101 Dalmatians and Houseboat are on repeat at our house. <laughs> and it was even cooler to get to talk to you afterwards and just realize you were nicer, kinder, more generous than we could have ever hoped for. So thank you so much. You did not disappoint. So thank you again for being here. (laughs) Happy to be here. Happy to do this. This will be fun. I want to start off at the start of your career. Let me say you have a book out, Working Kid, a memoir of a child actor of the 1950s and 60s. I've read it. It's such a page turner. Every classic Hollywood fan should read your book. Oh, I couldn't thank put it down. you. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to say photos in your book show that literally from day one on earth, you were beautiful. How did how do you think that influenced the start of your career? Well, it was something that everybody noticed and So my mom would take me places and people would stop and say, what a beautiful baby. And so that's how it started out. And then as I got older, uh, I had a very easygoing personality, uh, even when I was little. And um, you could give me any animal and I would love it, anything. And uh, I even like snakes. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, those were the days of calendars with puppies and kitties and duckies and and kids. And uh, so uh, my mom took me to photographers telling them that I liked all these animals and uh, I wasn't afraid of them because a lot of kids are afraid of animals. And so they used me, and I was photogenic, and then an agent saw me and said, that's a cute little girl. So my prettiness got me work, and I needed the work because I supported the family. So I didn't realize it until I was much older what was going on, but that's what was going on is I was supporting the family. My dad died. My mom didn't have a lot of money and uh, was a little loony, and so <laughs> and so that's that was my uh, my life. I never chose to be an actor. I never chose to do any of these things. It was because of how I looked and my personality, and so it 
got me far, but when I got older, I realized that I was taken advantage of because of my personality. So I don't have the same personality anymore. <laughs> kind of cranky. No, no. <laughs> anyway, well, I can be. I, I'll take a little bit of trouble, but not a lot. That's good. That's good. Well, and speaking of the photos that you did, I mean, when you were just starting out, I mean, you were a calendar girl as well. Yeah. And if I'm remembering correctly, you were the top calendar girl in the U.S. for six years. Yep, I was. And isn't that, you'd think Marilyn Monroe would be <laughs> or somebody really famous, but it was me. I did tons of calendars. Well, and they're adorable pictures. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who could who could look and not just think, "Oh my goodness, this little girl, she's so beautiful." And that way that you had with animals, like you said, yeah. so many of these photos have you with an animal, and you can just you can see the love, the comfort. You're so at ease. Uh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful photos. Yeah, and, and it was that was fun. I was just sorry I couldn't take them home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so your um, your modeling career yeah. segued into a film career. Yep. And you were about two and a half when you got your start. How were you, as they say, discovered for films? I, an agent uh, saw me and said to my mom, how would you like to get your... It, this sounds like, you know, a story. Yeah. But it's the truth. How would you like to get your daughter in in movies? And my mom said, yeah, okay. And two days later, I had my first movie. Wow. It was Corky of Gasoline Alley. That was a comic strip at the time. A very funny one in the Los Angeles Times, and I'm sure it was national. And it was... a uh, about guys that had a diner and a gas station. I didn't see it until I was, I think, in my early 70s. I'd never seen it. And a friend of mine, Howard Green, who works at Disney, he got it for me. And I watched it, and it was, like, so hokey. I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is so hilarious. I had two lines, and... Well, it you, was fun. You deliver them perfectly. Oh, you are adorable. You. <laughs> and I love, I mean, you're two and a half, but I can already hear the voice that I know is yours from Houseboat, 100 Point Dalmatians. I can hear it in little two and a half year old Mimi Gibson. It's so yeah. funny, isn't it? <laughs> well, and your second film was actually with one of my all-time favorite stars. It was I'll See You in My Dreams with Doris Day. And when I found out you were in that one, I just about flipped. Do you, do you have any memories of Doris on the set? I do. I, she's, she was very nice. Every, you know, everybody loves Doris Day. And yeah. she really was a sweetheart. And um, she, she said to my mom, you should be having more babies. And my mom said, why? And my mom had me at 40. So <laughs> she wasn't going to be having, and she had no husband. <laughs> and my mom said, why? And she said, because look, look what you made. Right. <laughs> and mom always thought of that and laughed. And, thought, and you know, Chris Olson, who is Cindy Olson's brother, he he played my brother in the movie, and we had a small part, but it was fun because we got to sing and uh, walking down the lane and a little bit and a few little places here and there we got to act. and it, But it was fun. We yeah. liked it, and I liked He was a nice little boy, and it yeah. was fun. Yeah. Well, singing in a movie with Doris Day, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> So another movie that I wanted to ask you about that was from early in your career was There's No Business Like Show Business. Great. You are adorable in that one. I actually, we watched the clip of you doing your dance with Dan Daly and Ethel Merman. And oh my gosh, I mean, you just, you you steal that stage from, from these professionals. You're just adorable. Well, I don't know about that. Yes. But, and, oh, weren't the costumes yes. gorgeous for the girls? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I loved my hat and my 
dress. Oh, I felt so special. It's yeah. the thing that you really like when you're doing a movie is to get a gorgeous costume. Oh, I bet. And that was a knockout. And Ethel Merman talked the way she does <laughs> in the movies. That's the way she talked in real life. I love she it. was nice, but she had this way of talking. Right. And <laughs> she was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and for that movie, you learned how to tap dance. Yep. And I mean, that's how the studios were. You 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 had these skills that you that they would teach you various yep. classes. Yep. What were some of the, your favorite things that you I like learned? shuffle off to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a fun thing to do. I don't know. Do you still do it? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this love for animals that you have that, as we discussed, is yeah. so evident in, in all of your print work, um, did did that help you in your films as well? It did, because I was never afraid of anything. You could do just about anything with me, and I'd be fine with it. I, yeah. You know, after you've done some things, it didn't matter, TV or movies, you knew how things went. And uh, the only thing that startled me was I was in the Egyptian and they had asked my mom, does she like animals? And, and mom said, yes. And so they handed me this monkey and then said to me, don't move fast or he'll bite you. Oh <laughs> I thought, <laughs> and here I was, I was just a little girl. Right. And I thought, Oh, God, what do I do now? But I did my part. I did what I was told. And I didn't move fast. And he was fine. The only problem was when the trainer took him away from me, I had this gorgeous costume. It was all linen. And it had a gorgeous belt down the front. And the monkey had pooped oh all down the belt oh my god and the trainer just came over and took his knife and scraped the poop <laughs> off of it and nobody said anything and so I went on to film and nobody said anything about the belt and there we were you're filming the rest of the day with monkey poop yeah Wow. Wow. But didn't show up on screen because he, he yeah. scraped what he could off. Yeah. Well, I guess if I had to choose between monkey poop and a monkey bite, yeah. I'd probably choose the poop. Yeah. But still. Oh. But it was, it was just the oddest thing. Right. Don't move faster. It'll bite you. And it's like. <laughs> I'm five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Oh. Well, so you did the Egyptian, yeah, um, and you did another uh, period epic as well, the Ten Commandments. Yep. How was that? It was the best movie I was ever on because, and Mary, your daughter, will like hearing this. The whole. Paramount, all of the whole studio, not just the sound stages, but the whole studio was animals. Down every road, there were caged animals, loose animals, you name it, there were tons of animals. And Bobby Clark played my brother, and he... And I just roamed all over. It was fabulous. Yeah. And I had no idea it was Cecil B. DeMille's last movie. And he knew me. And he knew who I was. And the proudest moment of my acting career was him being on a, a dolly up high and with the cameraman and after we'd finished a scene in front of the green screen, it was parting of the waves. Uh, he, we'd all heard that he had a really bad temper. And if right. you didn't do a good job, he'd yell at you in front of everybody. So we were all <laughs> scared. <laughs> and he said, Mimi Gibson. And I thought, oh, no, what did I do? And he said, good job. And I thought, oh, 
God. What a relief and what a compliment coming from him of all people. Absolutely. I didn't hear him compliment anybody else. And I was just so proud. I really was. And Charlton Heston was on that. Did you interact with him at all? No, he was... Above us, you know, standing there, partying. Partying, right, partying the Red Sea. Yeah. And um, so, you know, he would come in right before shooting would start, and then he'd leave right away. So Mm -hmm. he didn't have anything to do. There were a ton of us around, you know, probably 50 or 60 people. Wow. So. Well, and how about Edward G. Robinson? He was on that one, too. Didn't meet him. Oh, I shoot. I heard the nicest things about him as a person. Yeah. And I'm really sorry I didn't know him because he was a really kind and good man. Yeah, uniformly yeah. positive things about yeah. him. Some people, you know, you, you hear different things about, but I've never heard a bad thing. Nothing. Never heard a bad thing he about used Eddie. To, there's a shopping center. It's now a, I can't remember what... They've changed their name, but it used to be Sherman Oaks Fashion Square in uh, right off Riverside, and they had like a community room, and he would go in there and play the piano. Oh, wow. And people would stand outside and listen to, they didn't want to bother him, but they'd stand outside and listen to him play. Wow. That's so darling oh and that's just so him i just this you know this man with all these talents all these interests in the arts yes a great artist mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well and moving on to another film that i wanted to ask you about the wings of eagles this was with john wayne and maureen o'hara what was it like working with them i'd like to say it was like working with a bunch of old shoes you know, the the company was comfortable with each other. My mother didn't know who anybody was, and I, so therefore I didn't know who anybody was. Uh, she knew John Wayne, of course, and Maureen O'Hara, but she didn't know who John Ford was. And here I'm working with John Ford, who was just nice and easy, and Evelyn Rudy played my sister in the movie, and... You know, we were pretty good kids. We didn't cause trouble. And so he was, you know, I think with John Ford, if you irritated him. Right. <laughs> that was He bad. let you know. <laughs> but we didn't. We were just, we were seasoned performers, both of us. And we just did our job. And he was nice to us. We were nice to him. And John Wayne was nice to us, and Maureen O'Hara let us play in her makeup. So oh my gosh. She was adorable <gasps> and just lovely and sweet and let us come in our dressing room. They usually don't let you get anywhere near them. Yeah. And she was just so everything was just easy and kind and nice, and nobody had an attitude, and it was good. Cool. Well, I I have to ask you. So, I mean, how did how did that go down? She said, Marino Harris says, "Girls, come in here." And then I remember being where she sat mm-hmm. to put her makeup on and playing around in her stuff. And I never got to do that with anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so generous. Yeah. She was just just nice. Yeah. Yeah. And John Wayne. Was yep. very generous too. Very there was generous. a gift that you came away oh, yeah. with on this he, one. I I couldn't come to the premiere because I was working on something else. So he made sure I got my mug. That was his gift for his whole career. He's the cast and crew got mugs from him, and uh, with something printed on it that showed that that movie, and then him signing it to you. If you were the crew, you didn't get it made to you but if you were in the cast it was had your name on it and then and then from the duke and that was lovely to get that right yeah oh my gosh do you still have it i do cool i do talk about a priceless gift yeah it's a treasure really well and then um another film the three faces of eve yeah you are eve when she's a little girl 
I mean, having that's, to kiss the dead grandmother. Right. That's <laughs> quite a film for a little girl. Yeah. And when they interviewed me, they said, you know, you're going to have to kiss a, a dead person, not really dead, but, and so they brought my mother in and they said, you know, do you think she can handle doing this? And mom talked to me and I said, if they put somebody in the casket, I can't. And so they didn't. And so we did it just pretending that there was somebody in there. And so it, it was fine. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, what a potentially traumatic scene to... Yeah. I, I mean, it could have changed me into the fourth race of him. You know, I I don't think I could have, han- I and I don't know too many kids that could have handled yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's a tough and scene. thank goodness they were sensitive enough to and to ask the questions and to make sure that I wasn't going to have a nervous breakdown after. Right. Yeah, right. Well, and did you meet Joanne Woodward? I didn't meet her then. The next movie I did was uh, No Down Payment, so I met her there. But we really didn't have much interaction. I played um, Barbara Hale's daughter. So most of our work was with them, and I didn't see her all that much. And we did have, there's a photo where we were both sitting together um, for Three Faces of Eve. I don't remember it. Yeah. Well, do you remember, did you ever see Paul Newman walking around? Gosh, no. I would have remembered I was going to say, I'm sure. (laughs) I always liked the dyes. Uh Oh, man. Even (laughs) when I was real young, I was always liking the dyes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Around many of the best, too. Which oh, really the most yes, handsome? Yes, yeah. which Ooh. is the perfect segue to Cary my Grant. favorite of your films, <laughs> Houseboat. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, Cary Grant, Sophia Loren, and it just doesn't get any better than that. It it didn't. Yeah, it was wonderful. How did you get that part? Charlie and Paul and I were all interviewed separately and then brought together to look at us to see if we could look like a family, uh, you know, the kids in a family. And uh, they liked how we looked together. And I'd worked with Charlie a whole bunch and hadn't remembered that I'd worked with Paul on a TWA ad when I was like three. So, I mean, we were all kids that had been in the business for a very long time. And um, uh, Paul told me this story, and I don't remember it, but uh, Mel Shavelson and Jack Rose asked us to go meet Cary Grant. And so they took us over to meet Cary Grant, and he was filming something, I don't know what. And uh, Paul said, so you were yakking like usual. (laughs) (laughs) And Cary Grant looked at at either Rose or Shavel, I don't know which one, and and nodded. And so we You had it. That we all got it. And I thought, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously it was good. Whatever you did, it worked. I guess, but jeez. <laughs> Well, and filming of Houseboat, um, at least part of that was on location. Yeah, we got to do Washington, D.C., and we were there for about a month, and they hired a car and driver for us, and Sugar, our driver, took us everywhere there was to see in Washington, D.C. on our days off, and what an education we got. It was wonderful. It was thrilling, wonderful, everything, you name it, it was fabulous how was working with Cary Grant was he was he as funny as he is on screen was he as debonair what was your impression of him he could he could be funny and there there's a scene where he takes us away from our grandparents and is going to be you know our father now that our mother's died and he's going to pay attention and not be a diplomat or whatever he was doing right. and he takes us to this hotel where he's got a room or 
a unique living. Right, <laughs> and, right. Not great and, for kids. And he was, yeah, and he was driving this Jeep. And he, you know, he had to go around this circular area and uh-huh. then go into, uh-huh. and he had to do it quite a few times. And he would make it funny while we were driving. And cool. it was, it was very fun. We we were hoping he'd go around a lot. <laughs> but when he talked to us, he he didn't really, you know, he didn't have any kids and um, at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd say things to me like, don't feed your husband fattening food when you get married. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm eight. <laughs> sure. I'll remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he'd give us little tips, and I'd always think, huh, okay, I'm trying to remember them, but I forgot most of them. The one that cracked me up was, don't feed your husband fattening food, and and don't get fat. Well, (laughs) okay. Advice from Cary Grant. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and uh, I I remember an anecdote you shared in your book um, was – Carrie, in in the scene where you guys are, you're going up that plank to the houseboat. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he really does go in that water. Yeah, and he was mad. <laughs> right. Because we had no idea that in his contract he got all the clothes. And these pants were ruined, and yeah. he was mad about it. You know, Carrie grew up very poor, and so things meant a lot to him. And uh, so uh, he was... Boy, he walked off the set. He was furious. He thought that the painters had thrown paint into the water, but oh. it wasn't. It was some kind of muck that it, uh-huh. the Potomac wasn't. Yeah, and, you can tell. Yeah. You can tell it's not clean. <laughs> no, no. It, the Potomac was not lovely. And so uh, anyway, they kept trying to, ex- he wouldn't hear it. He was just mad. And so that, Yeah. Well, I must say, we just we just watched the film as as we do oh, no. this week, and um, I mean, this is the first time that I really noticed. I mean, even his pajamas are tailored in the yeah. movie; like he is just always just impeccably dressed. Yeah, I just it's such it's such a part of his persona. Yeah, and you really see it in Houseboat. Yeah, and this perspective of got to keep all the clothes literally in his contract. Yeah, that's. That's just, it's amazing to learn, and it's just so Cary Grant. And, you know, Edith Head did all the the clothes, and for Sophia's garish, horrible gold dress that that is made into, yeah, oh, that flowery (laughs) thing, oh my gosh. And um, so she would send out a buyer to iMagnons and or Saks and buy all of our extra, like his pajamas. So the clothes all came from the best stores. I, she didn't do any designs. Maybe she did the the wedding mm-hmm, dress, mm-hmm. but I don't remember. But uh, for you know the dress that I wore at the wedding at the end, but. Um, but she did almost all of Sophia's clothes. Oh, and talk about and gorgeous. that uh, that outfit where she she brings you know she comes uh, to become our nanny and mm-hmm. she's wearing that hat, right? The and, black. Oh yeah. my gosh, what a knockout she was! She I was know. absolutely. I mean, the boys were just enamored. Uh, oh, <laughs> they were so in love with her. And they just followed her around, and um, they told me to oh, go pinch Sophia. And <laughs> and I said, what? And they said, yeah, she likes it. And I said, uh, no thanks. <laughs> <sighs> well, and, I mean, Sophia on the set, working with her, I mean, obviously gorgeous, you can't take her, your eyes off of her on screen. How was she on the set? She was absolutely the best thing. She was funny and fun and lovely and not the least bit stuck up or asking for anything that she shouldn't have or didn't need. She was just great. And she'd sit with the moms every once in a while. That's Nobody so cool. Nobody sits with the moms. <laughs> so she just go over and, and have a conversation. She just down yeah. and talk and 
She was just lovely. She was just down to earth. Yeah. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah, Yeah. it's 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 great when everything you see on screen and you hope for in real life ends up to be true. (laughs) And and it's lovely to say because people don't know these people, and she was such a big deal at that time. So you you never know what you're going to get with, and she was just lovely. Now, did you? I mean, you're you're a kid, and this is you know adult situations. I mean, Carrie and Sophia had been romantically involved on the Pride and the Passion. We knew nothing, nothing, nothing. Total pros, total pro, especially her. He'd run back to his dressing room after every take with her, but. She'd just shine it on and do her job. She was fabulous. I admire her so much, really. Well, and she had a birthday party on the set, too. Yeah. There are photos of you and and, uh, the boys with Sophia and this beautiful cake. First birthday party. First birthday party. Wow. Broke my heart. And I wanted to get her something nice, and the, the, producer wouldn't let me he said we'll give her gag gifts and i thought no no she she needs to be given pretty things and they wouldn't let me so i didn't do it but i you know i wish i had been a little older older so that i could have just given her something that i would have liked to have given her well and speaking of of uh, gag gifts uh, I remember from your book, Sophia got lots of gifts yep. just from various companies wanting, you know, oh, well, Sophia Loren wears this. She yep. likes this perfume. Yep. You mentioned in your book there's a, a certain gift that uh, there's just a really nice story around a, a necklace. Well, this is my favorite story out of all the stories. Um, and it's called Sophia's Pearls. Love it. <laughs> And so Sophia got all these presents all the time on the set. You know, they wanted Sophia to wear the mink this, the, you know, diamond that, the this dress, that dress. And she was always going, ooh, look, look what somebody sent me. Oh, what is it? And we'd all, you know, look and want to see what it is. And so she gets this, this smallish package and she opens it up, and it's it's velvet. Oh, you guys are coming in here, you little stinkers. <laughs> anyway, um, just gets- just so these are these are Mimi's adorable <laughs> dogs. They are dogs. the cutest things ever, and they love her. And it is so obvious. They, they were supposed to stay up on the landing, but <laughs> as you can see, they're very well trained. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> so. So anyway, Sophia gets this package and it's velvet and it looks like it's something really expensive and she opens this velvet box and and in it she looked and she had this questioning look on her face and she took her finger and she had this hanging from her finger and it looked like black pearls but not quite right and she was looking at it and my mom started laughing and she came over to Sophia and she goes do you know what that is and Sophia said no and (laughs) my mom took the necklace from her finger and Popped it. It was pop beads. Oh, my gosh. And she said, it's pop beads. Well, Sophia was from Italy. She didn't know what pop beads were. And that it was plastic. Really, sending Sophia. Sophia Loren, plastic plastic beads. Plastic pop beads. Yeah, that was it. And everybody was laughing. And she was looking horrified at this object. 
And she said to my mom, do you want it? Mom said, yeah. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so guess what? I still have them to this day. Do you wear them? I do. Good. I love it. And I tell people this story. And people will look at me and say, what is that? So these beads are still attracting interest. Yes. And it's funny because you know they're not black pearls, but they don't look as crappy as real poppies. They look... Better, a higher class. Higher class, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in between. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And still on the subject of gifts on the houseboat set, Sophia gifted you and the boys. I I mean, you, you tell us. Because oh, a gold medallion with the houseboat on the front and to Mimi from Sophia on the back and with the boys' names on theirs. And it, I still have that too. So yeah, now are you wearing it on the in the photo on the back of your book? I'm wearing it in that photo with you. Oh, you are? Yeah. Cool. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, um, I don't know. I think I am. I think yeah. I'm wearing it on the back of the book. Yeah. yeah I wondered. I wondered. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it is beautiful. And she had great taste. Yeah. Great taste. That's well, why. Right. <laughs> the poppies were such a. <laughs> But the look on her face, it was, and when my mom popped them, the horror. Oh my gosh. It was just hilarious. It's something that I think of every once in a while, and I just have to laugh because it was just, she never saw anything Anything like it, it and probably never did since. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> We uh, we talked about uh, Edith Head to the costumes. Yeah, and you you mentioned in your book that the fabric of Sophia's gold dress was oh. just like nothing you'd ever seen before. It was gold lame, and so it was kind of stretchy. And they let me have a piece of it to take home with me. Now, do you still have that? No, no. Ah. No, I don't even know where it went. I just, it's gone. But it was, it was so gorgeous. She looked, boy, when they took all that junk off of it, wow-wee. What a great job just I mean, when, when, when she takes that dress out of the box. And you know, as soon as Cary Grant says, yes, Aunt Carolyn, yeah. you know, she, she chose it. She, she knew you'd like it, you know? <laughs> and you just, you, you know, oh, this is going to be terrible. Sophia takes it out. And then she does her magic and comes out. And the feeling you get watching that, just knowing, right, Aunt Carolyn, yeah. she got you. Yeah. She got you good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a great scene. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Well, and a movie that I was really uh, fascinated by, I had not heard of this until I looked at your filmography, was um, I'll Give My Life, a, a Lutheran film that you made with Angie Dickinson. Yeah, and my brother, Sh- Sharon Baird was a Mouseketeer. Her brother was Jimmy Baird. He was her younger brother, and he played my brother in in No Business Like Show Business. Okay, wow. And that movie, and Angie Dickinson played our mom, and her hair was brown, and you would never know that that was Angie Dickinson. She looked so plain, and you saw her in, what was a policewoman? Uh And she was so, Glamorous. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it just goes to show you what blonde hair will do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I think Angie. I actually I found the movie on YouTube, and I was just thrilled. (laughs) And I just uh, yeah, I couldn't believe the the dark hair. You can tell it's her if she smiles. Yeah, you can tell it's her, but she hadn't found her look yet. No. Boy, and I'm so glad she did. Oh, policewoman, it's a she fashion was inspiration. Gorgeous. Yeah. Just gorgeous. Yeah. Well, do you have any memories of working with Angie? Yeah, she was nice. I mean, you know, you you work with people and they either ignore you or they're nice to you. Yeah. You know, it's and not And she was nice. She was nice. Good. Oh, good. Yeah. She was she was nice. Everybody was the Lutheran sets the studio that did it, they did all sorts of religious 
TV shows and mm-hmm. and things for it was shown in the churches, the Lutheran churches, before it was ever released as a movie. Years, wow. it, they waited years to release it as a movie, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And so kids would come to school and say. Um, we saw you at church. On yeah, right. <laughs> on Sunday, and I think, what? What? <laughs> and then in Sunday school, I did another religious movie called 14 Going on 16, where I was supposed to be a girl that lied about her age. And they'd come back and say, we saw you at Sunday school <laughs> last Sunday. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Did you learn something? Yeah, Did I teach really? you a lesson? Are you not evil anymore, <laughs> you stupid boys? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, the following year, um, or at least release-wise, was 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. So how how did you get that? We all went on interviews, and we were told to use a little British accent, so we all we kids tried to do British accents, and and I got hired. Did you prepare, or was it literally just like an on-the-spot, you know, let's hear a British accent? No, they prepared us ahead of time. They said, they told all the agents, we're looking for kids that can do little British accents. So I worked real hard. I worked with my mom. I wasn't sure I was doing it well, but I tried my best. So uh, I got to be it. And then we all did all of the voices. They'd call us in one at a time. We weren't with anybody else, no other kids, nobody just by ourselves, we'd do all the voices. Wow. So, so none every of line. Us, every line. Every line in the film, you said. Every, every puppy line. We'd do every or puppy, puppy line, line. Yes. Yeah. And so I didn't know who I was in the movie. Uh, and I could hear myself talk. But there were times I was kind of confused as to who I was. And I didn't find out I was lucky until years later. Wow. Yeah. Every puppy voice, and then yeah. they just and you're and one they, of the more featured dogs, so yeah. you must have been a particularly good. I hope so. <laughs> I tried my best. I I just looked looked this up, and uh, 101 Dalmatians is still. It is now the the uh, with the reissues. It's the 12th highest grossing film of all time. Well, and isn't it nice that Screen Actors Guild gave away all of my residuals? Right. So and you, you get none of none I of that. Get no money. Wow. And um, they gave our money away in 1960. They had a vote on it, and that was with all the people that were current, not you know the people right, that were been older. In the films. I was 12 at the time. I didn't even know they were voting on that. Yeah. But it wouldn't have mattered and um so they gave away all of our money. Oh. I yeah. mean, especially with a film that is this iconic and I know. you're such a big part of it. Yeah, and all these other people are making just tons of money with their residuals and we get nothing. Well, Another film that you did in 61, um, in your book, you say this shoot had everything, the children's hour. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that 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 chapter alone, that you, what, what you say about that, that film, that could be a book in and of itself. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. No. Like, you have, you have everything from, I mean, Audrey Hepburn's in the film, Shirley MacLaine, Miriam Hopkins, James Garner, yep. just so many people within the film, all these different personalities. Yeah. What, let's start with Audrey. What was Audrey like? Princess. So again, what we would hope for. Yep. Cool. She used to do pirouettes across the stage when they were lighting up. She was, you know, when we were, you know, changing positions of the camera or whatever, she would uh, do different ballet moves. She was so graceful, so gorgeous, just the sweetest, kindest person you would ever meet. Nice to the kids? Nice to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) No, and Shirley MacLaine, how was she? She never spoke to any of us. She stood off stage telling jokes with the grips. Um, was not friendly at all. Shirley MacLaine. Yep. 
And then James Garner. Oh, he's a doll. He was he was starling. Miriam yeah. Hopkins was frightening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Miriam Hopkins even frightened Betty Davis. Really? So, yes. Oh so my you God. know someone's gotta be pretty frightening <laughs> if if the Davis can't handle you. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> she was. She was. <laughs> well, and so all of this is on the Children's Hour set, but we still have not yet discussed the people who were on the periphery of the I set. I know. That was just the most amazing thing. We uh, went to school on a soundstage where the trample, the um, trapeze equipment was above our heads, and Burt Lancaster came to exercise up in the rafters oh on the trapeze equipment. And he was pretty old. At, I mean, he was to us. Right. We were like 13. Right. And he looked fabulous. And he was so darling, he doffed his cap at us and say, good morning, ladies. And go, and we all just, with our mouths open, watch him exercise. Oh, wow. And then we had Elvis on one side oh doing God. Follow That Dream. Which is such a fun movie. Such it's a so fun, fun movie. <laughs> and, and he was, the I think the most handsome man I ever saw. His skin was like peaches and cream at at that time of his life. And he was very friendly, and the stage was open to us. We could come in and, you know, usually you're not allowed to just go walk into anybody's stage, but they let us come in. Now, I didn't go in because poor Elvis. Elvis was kind of a country boy. He spit in front of me and (laughs) said, ain't, and I was horrified. (laughs) I'd never seen anybody, a star, say ain't and spit and stuff. So I stayed away, but all the other girls, they were over there a lot. Right. And then the the uh, Rat Pack were on the other side. And, and I have to ask you, so the Rat Pack, I mean, obviously, they're this iconic group of guys. Elvis had his own group of guys. Yeah. Memphis Mafia, were they there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two white Cadillacs. Okay. They'd come in and he, he'd have, she'd be sitting up front, but he wasn't driving. He'd have a sky drive and then you know like a guy or two in the back and then another car with a few guys in that and they were there doing nothing just hanging out and yeah uh, nobody cared about talking to them everybody wanted to talk <laughs> elvis, to elvis right yeah. yeah so you've got elvis and his 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 memphis mafia yeah. and you've got the rat pack yeah on the other side. And the Rat Pack's dressing rooms were right next to our dressing rooms. And the moms had a fit. Like, really? <laughs> really? The Rat Pack's going right. to think we're cute? Right. Uh, uh, we were like 13 and not especially darling at that <laughs> stage in our lives. And they could have cared less. And so we really had nothing to do with them except for Sammy Davis Jr. He'd come mm. over and talk to us. He was so nice. He was really, really a nice guy. <sighs> but the rest of them just kind of ran around and played <laughs> bang, bang, you're dead in the street. Like- little boys like little boys and it was like what the heck is going on yeah well and and you hear that you know like the uh you know the the legend of the rat pack is exactly that and you experienced it yeah yeah so tv shows do you have a favorite out of every i know two out of the 200 you did Go well, ahead and name one. I, I have, well... Uh, <laughs> you can I, name more than one. Okay. I, I have a genre. Okay. And that was live TV. Yes. Live TV was my favorite beyond any other kind of TV because you had to be at the top of your game. You could not make a mistake in those days. It was all kinescope. It had to be just all the way through. You couldn't screw up and so those of us that did live tv were really we worked a lot because we 
we knew what to do. Yeah, and and you could do it. Yeah. I mean, you're basically, this is a, a, with some of these, Playhouse 90, for instance. Yeah, Playhouse 90 was my favorite. Red Skelton was my favorite, but he was, I love Red. Love Red. I'll love him till the day I die, but he was a stinker. He'd try to break you up in, when there's, doing the live show and he'd do it almost every time and it's like you had to be on the ball of your foot and you know he'd screw up some line and say something else and you'd have to fall right in and so that was really good I did eight red skeletons yeah so obviously you were good at it Yeah. yeah whatever he threw at you 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 took yeah. it and and you went with it. I and so I that was my favorite, but I think the 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 funniest one is the Leave It to Beaver I did uh-huh. Uh-huh. because it's so silly and funny <laughs> and to play a stalker before there were right. stalkers right uh, and it was it was a big part for Leave It to Beaver. Leave It to Beaver usually had somebody in there they weren't in very much, but I got to be in the whole. Uh, you know, episode. So, um, so I, I like that one. Moving to your commercials. I just have to say, I found two of your commercials on YouTube. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I found Hidden Magic Hairspray. Oh, that's a good one. It is so fun. (laughs) It's so donkey. Oh, I love it. And I have to say too, you are like a teenage Mary Tyler Moore in that one. Yeah. And they colored my hair sort of like her color. Yeah, but there's also just something. You guys both have just this beautiful smile. Well, when we first did it, he he had to say, your hair feels like bubble gum. Right. This is your boyfriend in the commercial. Right. Yeah. And Double Bubble, Bubble Gum said they would sue if they said that. So we had to go back in and we had to dub it where he said chewing gum. Oh, yes. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> yeah. Honestly. So it's a dub over and he's saying, your hair feels like chewing gum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, okay. I, I guess I need this hairspray. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> hairspray makes your hair feel so soft. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other commercial I found was... Rinse away dandruff shampoo. Oh, that bought me my first car. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, the kids at school just made horrible fun of me. Rinse, rinse, (laughs) rinse away. The boys would yell at me. Oh, but hey, you were laughing all the way to the to the bank. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Well, so. At 20, you you walked away yep. from your acting career. Yeah. Was that a, a decision that was kind of a long time coming, or was it just one day you just knew I you were ready to I wasn't getting regular on? parts and, like I did before. And, um, and uh, I thought it was just me, but now that I'm old and have talked to all of my friends that worked at the same time, they couldn't get parts either. And, you know, if Paul Peterson couldn't get a part and he was a th- heartthrob, that is quite amazing and disgusting. And the thing was, is we had all of a sudden we had no value. Uh, they wanted new faces, new people, new looks. You guys are old. We've used you. And Eddie Foy Jr. said to me, why should I use you? I've used you enough. And it's like, what? He was a so, casting director. Yeah, he was casting director. So I, so I thought, you know, I can't support myself like this. Yeah. So I tried all sorts of different things. And then I ended up as a realtor. And I was a realtor for 15 years. I grew up, I had a life, I did all kinds of stuff, got married. So I'll segue into yeah, uh, yeah. Screen Actors Guild yeah, again. exactly. How did you... My favorite union. Uh, How did you come back? How yeah, did you... I was... Uh, my husband and I had moved to Los Gatos. We were up in the mountains and I had a goat farm. 
That's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. And I had a goat farm for 25 years and uh, loved it up there. But anyway, I was watching TV. I never watched TV during the day. And all of a sudden, Paul Peterson was on uh, some talk show talking about a minor consideration because a lot of kids had committed suicide at the time. He'd started this nonprofit and he was trying to help transition acting kids into having a normal life. Because a lot of kids' series are, is like a death knell. You get a series, but then you never get any more work because you're typecast. So a lot of kids could not get any more work. And let me tell you, uh, the business is tough and everybody lies to you and uh, producers and directors will tell you that you're going to work forever and that they'll use you and then they don't. And that's very mean because you shouldn't lie to kids and you shouldn't make up stories to kids. If you're going to use them, use them. I, I was so proud of Paul to form a minor consideration and to help kids and I called him. And I hadn't talked to him in decades. I mean, I left the business. I lived in Northern California. I lived a different life. Yeah. I didn't even talk about acting in my life. Wow. So Paul said, we're going back into the union, Mimi, and we're going to change the Coogan Law. The Coogan Law was written in the early 30s. Uh, Jackie Coogan had been a child star and he was very beautiful. And then he turned into Uncle Fester. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so his parents had stolen all of his money and just used it frivolously. And it was embarrassing to the studios. So uh, they did the Coogan Law. And the one thing that stopped us from being able to have it apply to us was just a few words, and that is under contract. So it was the money for child actors shall under contract shall be saved. And nobody was under contract anymore. We were all the independent contractors. And this law would have made it so that a certain percentage of your earnings on, on each film had right. to be put away right. and your parents couldn't touch it. It's right. yours for when you, you turn 18. Right. And so when I grew up, there was nothing saved. And a lot of kids, all the parents say they're saving the kids money. They're all liars. They don't. And so uh, I've talked to so many kids my age, which is, I'm 75, So, and none of their mother money was saved either, except for a few lucky ones, and good for them. Um, and so we went back into the union. We uh, worked for eight years. Ask kids if anybody likes you in the business. They don't. And so we had to fight uphill to uh, get the Coogan Law redone and also a school law redone. We couldn't figure out why the schools hated us. Well, if your butt's not in the seat, they don't get paid. And so we didn't know that. Uh, Sheila Kuehl, who's a, a, a very wonderful politician, she was a kid actor she was in Dobie Gillis. She played Zelda. She was a state senator, and she she carried that in the school bill and got them passed. Wow. And I got to speak to Sacramento, and so I'm proud. I'm proud of doing that. It's now uh, day one, dollar one, fifteen percent, and um, so fifteen percent of of, of what of a the child kids actor's get. earnings gets right. put away in that trust right away and right. the parents can't get it. And it's called the Coogan money and all the banks have it and they know about it and it's uh it's great and I'm very proud. Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot about Melissa Gilbert. Melissa Gilbert was our chair uh, for a good long time, and she became president of Screen Actors Guild. So, you know, she did a lot of good work, too, and I don't want to leave her out because she was important. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is all thanks to you, Paul Peterson, all these former working kids yep. going to SAG yeah. every month for eight years yeah. 
speaking. Yep. You guys got it through. So Mimi, throughout your whole book, you are so refreshingly honest and straightforward <laughs> and about just about everything. Your your voice is so trustworthy. And one of the things that I love, you have a chapter where you are very honest about we as a society today yep. often admire the wrong people. Yep. And I just couldn't agree with you more. Yep. And we this emphasis on musicians and entertainers who are just very self-involved, not not into doing anything that doesn't directly benefit them. And reading your book, meeting you, it is clear that that is not Mimi Gibson. You <laughs> <Thank> had you. <laughs> you had this career that's not by choice. This was this was you're placed in this industry, and. To take all those experiences, the good and the bad, and to move forward with your life and then give back to kids today and bettering the position. It's inspirational. Oh, thank you. And you are a person to be admired. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Yes. So thank you for sharing your story and for talking with me today. It's been amazing. Oh, you're so sweet. Your book... Working Kid, a memoir of a child actress from the 50s and 60s. Where can people find that? Oh, you can get it on Amazon. Yes, (laughs) perfect. Well, again, everyone, read Mimi's book. It is amazing. Oh, thanks. Thank you again for being with me today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. It was (laughs) wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you.